Cradeline Network. Let's uh, uh, my name is Conrad. My name is Conrad. Alongside my friend Fox. Uh, this is the 276th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This time, we're covering 2000 AD for June and July 1993, progs 840 to 843. And then what we're, a gift for summer it is. What a... What a mm. grand gift that they gave to the world. What a fucking pleasant thing to do when kids are out of school. <laughs> yeah, this time we're finishing up the thrills of spring so we can get scorched by the summer offensive as God. Inferno, Really and Truly, Slaughter Bowl, Maniac 5, and Big Dave at last arrive on the podcast. My God, my fucking God. <laughs> You're excited, I can tell. Uh. Fox opened up our call today. The first thing he said to me was "fuck you." Pretty solid. It's a this is a bad month. It's a or, or whatever, a bad four progs. Naughty. Really like there's I, people doing I, the yeoman's work here and there's people who are just dead weight. That's all I'm saying. I, I just want to continue to reiterate that I'm not in charge of these ones, all right? I'm just some guy. Anyway, <laughs> If you'd already along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, Complete Case Files 19, The Firekind Collection, and 2000 AD Extreme Edition 23. That's it. Strange that the Firekind Collection's coming up after it ended, but, you know. Well, we're, you know, we're we're dipping. We're going to dip back in. Can see that lost uh, I lost, dip, you dip, lost we section. dip. I put my hand up on your hip, Fox. That's how we do the podcast. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Let's get started with Thrill One, Judge Dredd. It's our buddy doing like a don't have guns as kids PSA. Definitely, yeah. Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Mick Austin, letting robot Brett Ewins, or art robot, sorry, art robots Mick Austin and Brett Ewins, letting robot Tom Frame. So we start off but with Miller and Austin, and we're in the E-17 Juve complex, where a kid in a red leather vest and a belly shirt has found a blaster. Let's go kill some citizens. Yeah, that's like the first place that his mind goes, which is like... First first choice murder. Take your belly shirt and get the half out of here. Murder was the compromise, Fox. But the other Jews just want to stay in and play some shuggy, man, especially with that dang Judge Dredd out there. And then we sort of get a couple Dread vignettes here. We see him arresting a perp named Billy the Bull at a Chinaware Emporium. Um, when Gun Kid says Dread's not a big deal, they disagree. Um, we see a, st- a story of Dread bl- uh, blasting the hand off of somebody's uncle for the crime of stealing a neighbor's oxygen. We see him Jesus. beating up or killing 30 gang members in one sort of fight. And then slaughtering all those jerks from Reservoir Dogs when they try to escape. Yeah, he creeps on like Mr. Red to me. Um, yeah, it seems like these guys didn't have the foresight to let Lawrence Tierney assign everyone names. Um, so, they, so instead they're arguing over who's Mr. Red. And oh, then when God. Dredd shoots them all, they're all Mr. Red. 
Because when he gives them names in Reservoir Dogs, like that's literally why he says that he's giving them the names so people don't argue over who's Mr. Red and who's Mr. Black. Yeah, basically. exactly. Like everybody's you know. trying to be cool. Sorry, Steve you're Mr. Buscemi, Blonde. You're Mr. That's Pink. not even a color. <laughs> yeah, and Mr. Brown and Mr. Pink. Those are the tough ones. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the kid goes to put the gun in a garbage grinder, but a Manta hover tank has appeared outside their window to arrest these kids for having an illegal weapon and for hargu- and for harboring the same. I just Five feel years like each, that's just red. A tank is a little bit overkill, I feel like. They're probably just in the in the neighborhood, honestly. Oh, that's fair. It's just like let's bring the tank crew over to this building. Yeah, well, they're probably just they're probably arresting like ten, like a couple other kids in this block in the course of the thing. You know, fair. <laughs> um, I, 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 and I thought this story actually really reminded me of the uh, the Batman the animated series episode uh, Shadow of the Bat. I think it's called. Okay, which is this one where these kids tell. Batman stories basically and each one's animated in a different way so there's one that's like a cart that's like a the 60s Batman uh TV show cartoon and one that's like sort of a a version of a, the Dark Knight Returns and stuff like that that's kind of You know fun. there's one that is exactly like that except it's all the villains telling stories about Batman mm. and it's not in different styles but they're all just like oh, here's this thing I hate about Batman time to do some vignettes and then, right. like Batman is actually just the big rock guy. Uh, yeah, all these all these stories where they sort of had a bunch of half stories and couldn't figure out what to do with them, so they just sort of tossed them into one thing. Exactly. I know the creative process works. Uh, Brett Ewins that n- now takes over w- with Miller. He's on art, and we're introduced to the Gentleman Thief, a white tuxedo and top-hatted burglar and general better class of perp for Mega City One, at least until he breaks into an apartment and finds a bunch of rotting dead bodies in there. And it seems like he just calls the cops and, uh, you know, then gets arrested. I mean, Gentleman he's a thief better away. class of criminal, I guess. Like, yeah, literally. Good citizen. <laughs> The judges investigate, finding 142 bodies, some hidden in the walls and floor, which seems to be a theme, actually, somehow in this this episode. The place belongs to a delivery man named Harlequin Jones, so let's let's go get him. The APP goes out, and the judges search the skies, the streets, and the sewers, using sweet hover bikes, but uh, they can't find him. Um, the report come and then Dred gets a report that all the corpses had previously been logged as dying of natural causes, which is weird. Um, the size are then bro- called in and they manage to pin down an exact location. Jones is enjoying a drink at a robot diner. And as he walks out a briefcase in hand, he's surrounded by a swarm of judges. Man, they all look the same, too. They just yeah. are carbon copy judges. Some copy. Like, if it wasn't 1993, I'd say there was some copy-pasting going on here. Not, otherwise, I'm less sure. Um, Jones goes to run, but drops his case. And there's a goddamn dead body in there, too. They shoot God. Jones in the knees, and a passerby is like, Oh, no, what have you done? <laughs> this is the guy that gets me my dead bodies. Yeah, Judge Moore costs us to kill them both, but Dredd wants answers. The accomplice holds Jones in his arms and explains that he was just stealing dead bodies on their way to Recyc to give to these poor medical students because the official, like the standard ways of buying bodies to do stuff is too expensive. 
I, it really is that's just not cr- cool. Yeah, no, it's just a crime. <laughs> it is just crime. Yeah, like that's not. You can't scold me because of that. Yeah, like, no, I, like it's just grave robbing at that point. Because yeah, because it, it is just grave robbing, like one way or another. You know, get out of here. Get out of here. Very weird. And, very weird. Like. <laughs> judgment yeah. on this person's part to step in and say yeah. that shit dread does dread is not swayed it agrees with us and gives him five years for corpse stealing and handling uh stolen goods and then 10 years for wasting everybody's time like you guys you weren't even an epic serial killer get out of here 10 years there you go yeah anyway enough of dread fox let's move on to other stories thrill to purgatory yay <laughs> script robot mark miller art robot color Sascara, letting robot glib dip in yes, lava we- dip in lava dip in <laughs> lava dip Put in lava in the slag. Oh, so good <laughs> yes we got Slotting in purgatory here for reasons that will be soon apparent. Convicted former Judge Grice tried to rebel against the cruel rulers of the Titan penal colony, but was betrayed by fellow convict Kaufman and is now getting beaten up by evil prisoner Governor Kurtz. As Kaufman explains that he's about to finish his 10-year bid and then they'll convert him into a guard on Titan, I guess. Um, Kurtz is in full supervillain taunt mode here, like beating Grice and like letting Grice like, you know, crawl away and doing some cat and mouse stuff, basically. Um, yeah, he's been beating him with his electric baton and stuff. Meanwhile, the other convicts led by female con Bundy are taking that doomsday weapon, the meat virus to a shuttle, but Bundy can't leave Grice behind and goes after him. Oh man, Suddenly, too big of a heart. Yeah, come on, you gotta, whatever. She's, you know, he's a good dude, man. Is he? Ma- maintain, Is he? Maintain that high and tight in, um, or what, like a sl- side hawk, I guess, in, uh, God. through prison, you know? No. Got that mustache, strong mustache I, wearing. I don't know if Grice would, should be categorically. <laughs> no, sorry, bad dude, but Bundy's also bad, so it's, you know, moral relativism. Oh, it's fair. <laughs> The fight between Grice and Kurtz is spilled into the workyard. Kaufman grabs a length of chain and uses it to choke Grice to hold him steady. But Grice instead judo throws the hippie into a garbage grinder, killing him. But that sends Kurtz into a blood frenzy. But it seems like that just makes him into an easier target, Fox. Grice grabs a nearby uh, laser Wolverine saw, which I'm calling that because it's got three, three, three (laughs) blades, you know. Um, and he uses it to slice the governor in the back. Listen, Bundy's if, on, if there's yeah. one thing that I know about Frenzy, <clears throat> it's an additional attack. And you also, because you're raging, you take half damage, which is the reason yeah, yeah, yeah. why some of this damage resistance. And I think you get advantage on strength checks as well. Yeah, yeah ex- that sounds sounds right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Which is why I think uh, later you see him come back because he's only taken half from Molten slag. Mm, interesting point, for sure. That's what happens when you quantify things with numbers instead of having the occasional just instant kill kind of situation. Barbarians are dope as hell. <laughs> um, yeah, so Bundy's running 
running on her way to Grice as Grice himself grabs this ceiling chain and hook and wraps it around Kurtz's neck and then drags him into a nearby Terminator 2-style giant slag pool and dumps him into the slag Ugh. and pushes him under, shouting that he wishes Kurtz was dread. I wish you were dread as I kill you. Mer, oh, man, I accidentally dipped my hand into this <laughs> disgusting <laughs> amounts of slag. Honestly, it's better. His hand is better off than I thought it would be. Oh, no, it shouldn't be there anymore. Mm hmm. Uh, Bundy arrives to find Grice in his badly burned hand. There's no time for that because this whole place is going to blow up in 15 minutes. And frankly, it's starting to blow up even now. Like, we're mid explosion. This isn't one of those Star Trek ones where everything's fine until it hits zero. Like, things (laughs) are starting to explode even at this point, Fox. It's a chain reaction that can't be stopped. I know you love those Star Trek. I mean, listen, it's, it's when it's when the lights start shooting out of the planet that you know that. I mean, technically speaking, self destruct self destruct happens when it hits zero. Uh, you know, because that gives you time to get to. I mean, that uh, yeah, to that's, get to the, that's to the when everything's bay. fully destructed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, sure. listen, there's only so many times that you can disconnect from the battle bridge, you know, and then don't want the Cardassians no or or anybody getting their hands on your ship. So what do you do? You and Riker go down there and you turn it on. But fuck, we need to get back down there and turn self-destruct off. Like, that's where it's like the zero counter works. But this one is the Judge Dredd universe and their whole planet fucking explodes, I guess. Yeah. Once you press the button, it's like there's a process that starts and it takes a, you know, things start up. Man, I disconnect the Enterprise constantly, Fox. I mean, listen, the saucer section is pretty dope on its own. But the fact that then... the neck and nacelles of the ship stay on and it becomes a battle fucking ship. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like me when I take my hat off, you know, I'm all, I'm all business. All murder. A battleship. That's right. So Bundy Grice and a few other cons are making their way through the prison, taking out guards as they do. But when they reach the landing bay, all their shuttles are gone. Oh, no. Not my shuttles. Yeah, it says later, but I think later just might be like five minutes later. Everybody's preparing to die. It is really odd because then it's like, yeah. There's just not a lot of of, of like time real estate for a like a scene change, basically. Yeah, no, it's just like this is the next scene now. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, a fellow inmate arrives and he pulled, he's got basically all the guns from the prison, including some sweet flamethrowers and stuff. God, they went Um, about getting all the guns from the armory and there's a lot there, so... Might as well, you know, and that actually becomes very relevant because Governor Kurt survived the slag. Yeah, man. Told you. Raging. Yeah. Grice keeps that flame up, though, and flamethrowers the judge and then also does do a coup de grace attack by curb stomping uh, (laughs) Kurtz, if slightly off screen. Yeah. I mean, I would have liked to have seen him, like, squish his uh, juicy molten skull. But someday, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, all hail the new Chief Judge Grice. The reactor starts to blow, and it seems like there's a page out of sequence here, either in the original comics themselves, just in our digital versions, um, as the base seems to be about to explode when suddenly a shuttle appears overhead and Grice, Bundy, and the others are beamed aboard. Titan explodes as the ship flies off. Grice, along with the meat virus, tells his cheering troops to wallow in their bitterness because they're on their way to Mega City One and we're coming for you, Dread. Yeah, well, that sucks for him. Totally. Yeah, so the end of Purgatory, Fox. But the story continues in the pages of Judge Dread. 
right now. Thrill three, Judge Dread. Quick, time to call a nude side judge. Always. Script robot Grant Morrison, art robot Carlos Scare, letting robot Tom Frame. It's really nice to have a scare back on Dread here, I gotta say. Yeah, absolutely. It's also I feel like so invasive for the television that also is the camera to be in the bedroom where you get nude. You got to at least be able to willfully turn it on as opposed to just popping on. Yeah, because it definitely pops on. It's like, listen, get it. Wake up. (laughs) It's kind of a space ball situation. Never call me on this screen. Um, but yeah, so Ascara, we last saw him in Christmas 92, and in the domes of Mega City 1, Psy Judge Janice awakes from terrible dreams. She's bald, kind of ditzy, and it's her 19th birthday. She says, like in her sentences, to the amount of a common Conrad. I, <laughs> I, I found her quite endearing. Yeah, it's fine. She's called, she's called into with a Hall of Justice to help out. Um, and when she's there, she meets Judge Baji, who's visiting from Delhi. Sit. And there's Janice some, is there's some mm, interactions there. Indeed, um, Janice is filling in for Anderson, who's currently getting weird in on Mars in the pages of a magazine. Nice. We're in the middle of the childhood's end story there. Um, Dread, we see him rolling through the city as we then also get the uh, other title and the credits for this new story that we're starting. Inferno. Although in reality, you start in Inferno, then go to Purgatory, then the third Divine Comedy's uh, Paradise, just saying. There you go. See? But I'll also say that um, Inferno is the only one that people care about. (laughs) No one cares about the other one. Very sad. Dread gets a call to bust some the some bazooka brothers and man nice. just just overawe them as they shoot at him. Like he doesn't even do anything; they just keep missing because you know he's so scary. It's pretty impressive, and then he just blows them both up. That's right. Yeah, he hits one with incendiary rounds and gets the other with a heat seeker. And when they say Do you need a meat wagon, he says just send a broom and dustpan to pick Ooh. up their ashes. Now for some really great time. <laughs> He heads to the Hall of Justice where he meets with Magruder, this bold judge that's like uh, Janice's boss as well, Baji and Janice herself. I really like how um, how stunned Janice is to be the president of Dread. Her eyes oh, get yeah. real big and stuff like that. Um, and then Judge Baji says that he saw Dread in a dream. Also, sorry, secondary uh, dread Janice thing. I like that when the judge says that Janice is taking over for Anderson. Oh, yeah, he says those are some big boots. Yeah, yeah, those are big shoes to fill, which I like that, you know. I I like the follow-up, watch you don't trip. Exactly, yeah. I really like that he, um, you know, we'll, we'll get some of this in later stories, but we get some hints here that, in fact, while I think Dredd definitely puts on a show of being annoyed by Anderson. a huge amount of respect for her, yeah. He does have respect for her as well, which I think is really nice. Um, I mean, he's she's the only judge that basically is flaunts a lot of the general conventions that he doesn't get on her ass about it. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, he will eventually, but yeah, that's definitely, they have a working relationship and she's definitely earned, had enough success to earn her bones in some of these situations, mm-hmm. I think as well. Um, but so we learned that Judge Baji saw Dread in a dream and while Baji doesn't have a phonetic accent, he does have that um, Apu style yeah. um, Indian speaking cadence, you know? 
when I was arriving, you know, just a lot of a, a lot of misplaced gerunds and things oh, yeah, like no, that. I am arriving from Delhi City, Delhi Sit yesterday. It's like, OK, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's just keep moving. Um, he could he also just that, sound British for all we know. Right. It's like, true. Yeah, but he says that since he's arrived in Mega City, when he's had a sense of foreboding and not just because of the food. Um, and last night he had a, je- a dreadful dream of death and, f- you know, and the goddess Shiva. And there will be fire from the skies, death from the skies. And even as he says this, the shuttles from Titan are approaching Earth. Ah, uh, snap. Time to throw some mm. boats at the land. Definitely. Aboard this shuttle, Grice and the prisoners have put on modified judge armor and they're preparing to take their revenge on the metropolis. And heck, then maybe the rest of the world. A lot of these guys got grudges. Um, It seems they've all gotten booster shots of antiviral agent Fox. So you know that these guys are bad because they might be taking down the mega cities, but they're also in league with the new world order and their (laughs) vaccine regime. Got that Fauci ouchie so that they can get all these circuits in my bloodstream so that... uh, (sighs) Bill Gates can control me. He's just that clever to control both sides of this coming conflict, Fox. It's oh, incredible. my God. Anyway. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so they're prepping the meat virus to go out the mega, in, into the mega city. At the Grand Hall, the radar is only now picking up these ch- these ships. And it seems like there's a bit of an evacuation order at, at the hall because a ship, a spaceship just goes flying right into it. Yeah. Yeah. We just rebuilt it. Come on, guys. Well, they say that it's like, oh, the the building won't sustain much damage because, like, they threw a nuke at it and it's still standing, I guess. Yeah, it's superficial damage, I guess. Because, yeah, it was built. It was built for tough, I guess. I mean, it was destroyed (laughs) in the Apocalypse War. They had to rebuild it. Although, no, actually, maybe it was only destroyed. Now that I'm thinking about it, it might have only been destroyed when Dredd set it on fire to cover his escape. After he uh, after he executed the traitor Chief Judge Griffin, yeah. now that I'm thinking about it, whole thing. Oh man, Griffin, <laughs> Jesus God! That was, yeah, with the eye patch takes you back, you know. Um, yeah, so Dread wonders who they're up against. The city can't really like you know the 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 Sovs wouldn't use a terrorist attack like this. And there's this general discussion that again, like they've had two apocalypses in the last four years. They really would like to avoid another one if they could. Well, no, they just don't. They can't take another and, big yeah, assault. Yeah, they just don't have the manpower. They can't withstand another big assault like this. A wave of five or six ships crash into the city, and a second wave is coming in a pattern that is consistent with deploying troops. The convicts on the ships are getting their jetpacks ready, and Grice puts down the orders. If it mo- if it moves, kill it. If it's a judge, kill it slow. But leave dread for me. I feel like it's the opposite. Kill the judges real fast. We don't want to deal with them. Yeah, you'd think so, but, you know, these villains, they got to sow the seeds as they go or something. At the uh, Mick Travis block, which was the uh, Malcolm McDowell character from the movies If, Oh Lucky Man, and Britannia Hospital, Judge Noonan reports in under the effects of a poison cloud that was released by the ship, and she rapidly dies in a pretty terrible way, it seems. Just pukes her guts out or whatever. Ugh. Baji confirms that this was the vision of death from the skies that he saw. No shit. And we see Thanks, great man. super ships. helpful. Seriously, yeah, definitely. Really enough time to respond to these to this so-called warning, just that you said it and then it immediately started. Um 
But, as, but then we see the ships flying overhead and Judge Grice with his chums come flying down, gun drawn. This is your wake up call, Mega City One. Next time, descent into the maelstrom. Man, as um, the really good thing in this set of progs, it was really good. <laughs> you know, so this um, this story is going to go, I think, yeah, just sort of the next two episodes, I think. Okay. And just be sort of a, sort of a mi- it's like a mini epic, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Because you have like a mega epic that's like half a year. This one's like a quarter or so. I don't know if, that, if, if, if that's a spoiler, but just FYI, we're going to go for a little while with this one. I mean, that's I'll the summer. That, that feels pretty good. Yeah, I'll say that, you know, just to kind of spoil you, Inferno isn't super well remembered. Oh. But I do think that at, definitely at this point, it does stand a little tall just amongst some of the dour, weird, or highly questionable thrills that we're yeah. also getting in the prog. So I think... You know, let's talk about it, but I think honestly, a lot of Inferno criticism might be in comparison to other dread stories, as oh, opposed to yeah, I guess as opposed to what what we're getting generally in the thrill. I mean, I like that it started as like two splits. You know, it was it was your classic yeah, dead no, man, right? Yeah, I like I like the purgatory stuff. I like this transition to it. I'm not like honestly, I think Inferno's okay. I think that. Like, you know, it just it, it, it gets a bad rap, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But we'll we'll see how it goes for sure. Anyway, hey, s- instead of bad raps, how about wrapping things up, Fox? Oh, God, like everywhere. And just get into a string of um final of, of uh, finals and one offs, starting with Jesus. Thrill Four Armored Gideon. Oh, man. Uh, it ended as it began. Anticlimactic. Mm. Script for about John Tomlinson. Art about Simon Jacob. Letting go about Annie Parkhouse. Oh, stare into the terrifying robot eyes of Armored Gideon. The demons have all been destroyed, but Frank White's is still in trouble. After a moment of terror, his friends telling him to run. Frank does so, barely dodging, annihilating punches of uh, Gideon and stuff. In the end, though, he knows he has to face the music and stops running. He turns to Gideon and shouts to him, Come on! Annihilate me! Kill me, I'm here! But Gideon instead kneels down and gets face to Frank with face with Frank and says, Actually, I've rather got off the idea, and then disappears back to the edge. The day is saved and the demons are gone, uh. as described by that crazy guy pretending to be a news reporter. And the Daily Clarion is making bank with all the pictures that they have that uh, Frank took because of his psychic photography. Space wizard Alderfin is preparing to move on and gives Alona that magic pot thing that was a big deal, then disappears himself. There's not much else to do except for Frank to ask Naomi out to dinner and get laughed at like a putz. I mean, she's uh, anything, if anything, she's consistent. The end of Armored Gideon. Trash. And Armored Gideon will return for part three and some retro action in Prague nine. Sorry, in uh, in the year nineteen ninety four. So next year. This is something that that people like, right? Armored Gideon. Yeah, I would say that this second one is the weakest Armored Gideon. I'd say. Okay. I mean, it's like it's not one. Like I don't know the way I judge things these days. Is I'm in a couple two thousand eighty Facebook groups. Yeah. And periodically, people will post something 
and it'll be like 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 they'll post a picture of Rogue Trooper and be like, hey, anybody remember Rogue Trooper? Anybody remember Judge Dredd? Anybody remember Johnny Alpha? Th- these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if any, but I don't know if I've seen a lot of that for Armored Gideon, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, certainly and, Alder Fenn I Hawker, the top tier, top tier character will return again, I'm sure. And I mean, telling detail, I guess this ha- Armored Gideon hasn't really been collected either, you know? Yeah. It just wasn't. I don't know. I get it. It's it's the joke one, but yeah, like this I, I one was very. This one, it just again, my largest criticism here is that idea of robot plus like beating up and fucking up demons. Awesome, let's do that. Yeah, and then it just never happens. I remember the third part being better because it's got a lot of references to the early days of 2000 AD, which I think that that will find very fun. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I'm, I am looking like I haven't been looking forward to part two, but I am looking forward to part three. Okay. Honestly. Okay. Anyway. Um, and so let's continue on with our little one-off section here with Thrill 5, Firekind. Script by John Smith, art by Paul Marshall, letting robot Steve Potter. We're just checking in on the missing section of Firekind that would have gone between Prague's three... Um, 833 and 834 here. Uh, some good visuals, once again, you know? Yeah, definitely. Good storytelling. So yeah, in the one before this one, Larson lost his breath mask and was exposed to the hallucinogenic air of Genyo Leal, and he starts awake under the care of a Genyan with a pink scar over their eye. His body's gotten used to the air, but it is going to do cause some changes to his mental state, most notably immediately is that he speaks fluent Genyan. Jesus. Larson assumes that the hallucinogens have rewired his brain, which seems fair. Later, he's feeling better and asks his caretaker, the um, Aisha, about, or yeah, Ayesha, about the scars that they have. And it seems that this whole village is made of outcasts from the log- lodge that Larson himself was cast out of, and their face scars mark their shame. Larson's brought to the village center where he sort of can, where um, he starts to pick up mental feelings and realizes that he's developed psychic abilities as well. He can feel the people of his village all around him. And then when he reaches out, feel a greater connection to the surrounding land. He can feel the endless forest all around them, which uh, is sort of incarnated as the uh, spirit of Asha Karatni. Mm. It's pretty cool. I thought yeah. I like this section. It's but like his, Larson, well, it's his yeah. first stint post hallucinogen, right? Like where exactly. now he's connected with with the actual planet. Yeah, and this is stuff that'll help him later in the story as well. You know, yep. um, but then Larson has a vision of Genians being slaughtered and abused, and as human voices taunt them, he sees a scene of terror. There must be something that he can do to stop it, and that's where the story continues in Prague eight thirty four, the end again of Firekind. Nice. I mean, I'm glad that they went back on it and sort of, you know, it was, completed it, the story. Yeah, I mean, stuff. it's it's worth it being printed because it was an excellent story. Yeah, and like I said last episode, actually, I am maybe sort of glad that this happened just because it meant that we could get all the way to the finale of Firekind last episode. It would have mm. been a bummer, I think, if we had to do the final episode on its own. Oh, um, yeah, like as episode. its own standalone thing. To get the standing yeah. ovation, yeah. Yeah, not as good just in terms of the format of Space Spinner 2000. So we appreciate them looking out for us 28 eight years in the past for that yeah. stuff, Fox. 
Anyway, speaking of uh, future events I'm not looking forward to, as opposed well, to the starting of the Space Spitter 2000 podcast, Fox. Well, here we go. Thrill 6, The Clown. Script robot Igor Goldkind, art robot Robert Bliss, letting robot any park house. The clown is back, I guess. No way. This is a prologue story where some weird gremlin children break into a house and start smashing up the place when the clown from previous story, of course, demands to know where his pony is. One kid found it and it's just a well-rotted horse skull on a stick at this point. Um, and this leads to some child murder. The clown reflects in the previous story as he leaves this house and talks about, um, I'm sorry, the art is really terrifying. Like, like Bliss is doing a good oh, job yeah, real here, great I think. Work. And uh, the clown does definitely kept up this workout routine because he's pretty buff here. <laughs> he arrives at his real home. Sorry, spent some time reflecting on the philosophical nature of home as he arrives at a dark, broken down circus. Presumably things will only get worse from here as he moves into this new home for himself. There's so much writing in this one, Fox, and I'm it's glossing a lot. over. Yep, it's a lot. Just and a- we've already read the clown story. Yeah, there's just a lot of stuff about nature, the nature of reality and madness and things like that, sense of belonging, whatever else. Um, but I, like I said, this is just a prologue and the clown will return in earnest in spring of 1994. Oh my God, it's so far out from now. It is a very long time. This just feels like something that got made right after the first clown and they just sort of, they just slotted in when they had an open spot, basically, okay. which is what... 841 is 841 is a real is a real real just leftover part it's the worst um, it's the worst prog it's a real like like when you make a pizza that's just out of all the leftover ingredients that you have left lying around or something like that you know Mm -hmm. anyway speaking of speaking of one-offs fox Let's get spooked with Thrill 7, Tharg's Terror Tales. Well, We got two Terror Tales, Fox. Yep. First one is The Last Victim. Script robot Al McKenzie. Art robot Mick Austin. Learning robot Tom Frame. What a a twist. (laughs) What a twist indeed. A lady in a fur-lined coat walks the empty streets as a narration box. Says the... Karma's bullshit. There's no penalty for being evil. And as we realized, this gave rise to the modern serial killer that we all know and love. This woman's being followed by a man in a plaid hat as narration boxes talk about the lineage of killers, starting from Jack the Ripper and going onward, growing ever more and more flamboyant. Plaid hat keeps coming after the woman, but soon finds himself in an alley alone. The meek inherit the earth. Don't make me laugh. Plaid Hat pulls a billy club out of his coat as the narration says that the meek eventually tried to stop the killers, but eventually the side of thoughtless random murder overwhelmed them and Plaid Hat gets attacked with his own club as the narration box says that soon the world was completely taken over by psychopaths. And it turns out that this man was just some lame normie while the lady was the psycho and she kills him or at least beats the crap out of him saying that they should have wiped out the psychos when they had the chance. Now the world belongs to them. Okay. And she goes to walk away as a passing uh, murderer with big scissors comes by to finish plaid hat off. It was us against them and they lost. Great. <laughs> Murder. 
you know, again, or I guess generally this one, one of these ones, if there's one thing I can really say, and we saw this a little bit actually with Dread too, um, 19, like this early 90 periods, Fox, is just this big period of either smooth, cool, like criminals and hitmen like Reservoir Dogs, yeah, or just serial killer stuff, lots of serial killer stuff, you know? Like Silence of the Lambs hit, and everybody realized that they could have people be bad guys, and the whole point was that they looked normal, and that's very cheap from a self special effects standpoint, oh, as opposed to your to a Jason or something like that or a Freddy. So it just went off the races with it. Oh, and plus, like the, you could talk about psychology with serial killers, so things were oh, a little classier, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like it's a whole thing. I wouldn't necessarily call cannibalism classy, but I get your point. It's classy when fava beans are involved. Oh, yeah, most and people, a most people only know about fava beans and Chianti because of Hannibal Lecter. Fact. Yeah. Fact. Well, anyway, speaking of, um, I guess, fancy murder, Fox. <laughs> Let's continue on with our next Terror Tale, Even Death May Die. Script robot Chris McHale, art robot Dave Danticky, letter robot Tom Frame. Uh, this is the only time we'll see Chris McHale, but I believe he might be a Mark Miller pen name. And the one thing I will say is that it's interesting to see Dave Danticky doing color, just because, you know, he does Brigand Doom as well. Mm. So I really associate him with that really ink heavy black and white style. I mean, he so does a great job here him. with colors, I'll tell you that. For sure. Yeah. So a woman named Donna holds a drooling man in her arms, then pulls out a gun and shoots him. We flash back to Donna being hired as a nurse by this guy, Mr. Crosby, to take care of his mentally handicapped adult son, Warren. Crosby find, Crosby himself seems to be very handsy, and Warren is kept in a room full of toys and soiled bedding. Donna takes him out in a wheelchair, and we see that he generally talks in this kind of... kind of offensive childlike way basically but punctuates that by speaking to himself in a nonsensical but hyper articulate way although we're pretty much just told of this we don't actually see it happening and but what he says when he does this is talking to weird monsters that are making terrible plans for him and the rest of the world Crosby tells Donna not to worry too much about this, but does mention that Warren's last caretaker hung herself because of what he said. Yeah, great thing to bring up, just passingly. Absolutely. Anyway, it turns out that Warren has been reading and translating the the Necronomicon and written a fair amount of it on his bedroom walls. The dark beings of Lovecraft are real and coming back, and the old gods that once kept them at bay are now dead. Oh, geez, it's a Cthulhu apocalypse, buddy. Um, We hear this one Lovecraft couplet repeated a couple times, that which, or that is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons, even death may die over and over again, as Warren basically just puts up a big campaign for how they should both kill themselves now, rather than be stuck in deathless, eternal torment when the old ones eventually come. And it seems that Donna is convinced. It doesn't take much, so she grabs that gun and does a murder-suicide. Yeah, she kills. Yeah, she gets Mr. Crosby's guns, kills Warren, and then herself as Crosby sort of stands outside, begging the door, begging them not to. But honestly, it seems like it was all for the best because soon after this happens, the skies rip open and the de- old ones at last reappear to destroy the world. 
A huge black mouth opened and a hideous howl ran across the entire world. A howl which would never, ever stop. The end. (laughs) See, I think this is a little tough just because the eternal scream of Narothotep. I feel like we just had that in Zenith like a couple months ago. And so bringing it back just feels like, you know. Fanboy. Samey, you know. like yeah, yeah. Yeah. We don't got to be this into Lovecraft. There's got to be other weird old-timey writers, you know? Well, I mean, some he, he, was, he was a part of a, like, they they wrote for a, an anthology thing, right? So mm-hmm. there's, like, not, it's not like he's the only writer that was in that fucking book. Or yeah, give me some other weird and pronounceable apocalypses, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway. God, but spe- yeah, so what guess- next? What horror will you unleash on me next, Conrad? On the topic of impronounceable terrors from beyond the reality, Fox. Thrill 8, Tharg the Mighty. Good, this one. Script Robot the Mighty One, Art Robot Anthony Williams, Letting Robot Alita Fell, so many one-offs, Fox. Richard Burton, the Richard Burton robot, uh, Bert is tooling around on his Mac one night when a demon appears, The demo- and so is the demonic purple nurples. The next day, the rest of the editorial team arrives, and that's uh, Robo Cook, Atama Tomlinson, and Mac One. And they're all there to find the office. All With everything, the office all stacked up, like in Poltergeist. Mm. And then Bert appears, and he's got a big afro. He tries to explain, but then the Nurples appear once more and attack the rest of the team, giving John Tomlinson a pompadour, Steve Cook a Soho crop, and Steve McManus some pretty pigtails and a bow. Okay. Oh, there's mystic stuff afoot, so they call in Cybod to do a seance, but Audrey Wong just ends up throwing pea soup everywhere. Cook pulls out a psychic camera or pulls out a camera to do some psychic photography, which if you're asking me, Fox, I think Tomlinson should have brought out because he's the one who writes Armored Gideon, which features that. Yeah. But anyway, they find that the whole place is being haunted by the ghost of L.Q. Gifford Sloper, a prehistoric comic book editor who's pissed at everybody using these newfangled computers and stuff. What about the good old days and all uh, that kind of but stuff? But they're robots. Yeah, but they still do it. I don't know. They still do it by hand, I guess. It's who knows. This is weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like how his old timey, his old timey comic book stuff, though, you know. Yeah, sure. I was sent down to work. I, I was sent down pit to work on film frolics. Every balloon and stoned on the page till its fingers were red raw. Then you added it, poured, rim, poured lemon juice into wounds. And then we could eat our Lord sandwiches. Excellent stuff. Jesus. <laughs> Um, you know, but luckily the Dave is quickly saved because Tharg, th- Tharg shows up and banishes the ghost with the power of 2000 AD. The thrill power of Tharg compels you and the day is saved and everybody gets their haircuts returned. As Bert says goodnight to the various spooky characters in the offices, including Judge Death, Deathlock, and Sabat's face cloak. Hey, it's Deathlock. I like that they do have this kind of like uh, overblown Deathlock dialogue as well, you know? Yeah, well... <sighs> I'm just glad I, I like that everyone's just like, hey, remember these guys? We're gonna <laughs> you remember them? Not anymore, you don't. Close door. You gotta tell these jokes. Anyway. Fox. Oh god, what now? 
I've had enough of all of these pre-summer offensive things. All right, Fox. Yeah, you just want to get... you want to just offend the shit out of me for the next. Three. I want to get to these new comics and make people feel bad. But before we do that, <laughs> we gotta d- put a dividing line in oh, the no. in the show, and thus it's time to talk about non thrills, covers, and nerve setters. Oh, I thought you were gonna talk about a young boy's taint. Because that's exactly how, like, 840 starts. What? Man, the, the cover page for 840. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, we're definitely talking about that. It's just full butt balls and everything. That's one of the things. Yeah, come on, buddy. 840, fear and dread. Mick Austin draws a young citizen under the shadow of the law, letting you see his twig and berries if he wasn't wearing pants. In the nerve center, <laughs> Thark plugs the upcoming Slaughter Bowl, the bloodiest game show around. There's a droid profile of Firekind, Slaughter Bowl, and various other title authors. titles author John Smith. In the input page is a picture of Judge Zag from the Irish puppet duo Zig and Zag and Judge Robert Roger Melly from Viz Television, Roger Melly on the telly. Letters compliment the teachings of Judge Dredd, a, the writer of the adult comics book we saw a couple ep- um, progs ago. Thanks for the plug. A lapsed reader is enjoying modern thrill power. Another reader loves Kano and Gideon but dislikes Firekind. And a what? final... W- one what? has some hip new names to the mighty one. Yeah, there's no accounting for taste. These kids, you know. And then the prog ends, of course, with an ad for that dang Sonic comic. Blue p- blue prog speeds by A Sonic, Sonic the, the comic. <laughs> Too fast for the naked eye. I remember that show. <laughs> Yeah, real. He's he's a cool dude with attitude. A forty one. Color Sascara does a cover of an angry Judge Dr- Grice. I'm coming for you, Dread. He's got his oogie ghostly hand. Dread looks on. That's right. Yeah, letting you see them scars in the nerve center. Tharg explains Big Dave and how he and his pit bulls are going to settle Saddam's hash once and for all. Oh God. Droid profile of John Tomlinson, who appears to be a goat head, and then this profile is built around jokes. There's a lot of people named Tomlinson out there, both in comics and in politics, including Sir Bernard Tomlinson and comic editor Barry Tomlinson. Shout out to a where he there. The input pages, pictures of a Judge Terminator and Judge Technical Pen, and letters demand more epics. Ask for their name to be translated to Beeljusian. Demand Tharg reveals themselves as a female. And it seems Tharg, appe- a, uh, Tharg appeared in a musical called Return to Forbidden Planet. While someone else complains about the recent pessimism in Judge Dredd. And the prog ends with an ad for the upcoming summer offensive. Including the Ugh. cover of Prog 842. Where Dave Hine of Daudamoto fame draws Dread giving the stick to a perp as some of the other new thrills appear on the side of the page. Maniac 5, really and truly, Big Dave, they're big, bad, brutal. <laughs> and it's a summer offensive at last. The Nerve Center has been redesigned and called the Output Page now. This time it's got quick summaries of the new stories starting this prog, as well as the usual jumping on prog stuff of Beetlejuicy and phrases and honors. Then there's also a new look input page. It's got a picture of Judge Jurassic, a, a T-Rex judge, his helmet balanced on his so snout. So awesome. 
And we're really right. And we, there's actually a couple ads for the toys here, too. But Jurassic Park is about to hit England. Uh, hell here. yeah. Battle action playset, baby. Absolutely. Yeah. It The movie came out in June in the States, but won't come out until the 16th of July in the UK. So they're probably like it sort of will be out sort of in our next episode. But I mean, I remember before it came out in the, in the U.S. just there was a fever for it. You know, I read, I read the book, all this stuff. I remember. I knew a person who had the command compound. I, he also had the battle damaged dinosaurs. Rad. Ooh, that's nice. That is rad. Absolutely. Yeah, a letter writer is being forced to stop reading the prog because of their mom. Other another compliments Mark Miller's turnaround with the purgatory story. After all, that Robo Hunter. Someone asks about the shape of Tharg's ears. Talks about the lag between letters. You know, letters coming in like sort of. There'll be the first episode of a new thrill and then a letter will come and complimenting it like 10 weeks later or something like that, which is the nature of lead times. Um, and there's a mention of a French comic, L'An 2000, which is uh, 2080 in French. It's probably not actually 2000, but I don't know that much French. The prog ends with a pinup of really and truly as they prepare to head out to meet Johnny Zhivago. Finally... Prog 843, it's your Super Soarway 2000 AD. Uh, this cover's got art by Ryan Hughes and Steve Parkhouse, and it's basically a send-up of the Sun newspaper, Fox, just FYI. Okay. I, I am yeah. aware of the Sun. Yeah, as we all know, Sun readers don't care who runs the country as long as she's got big tits. Uh, really and truly are <laughs> up in the corner. We see Saddam riding an ostrich. The body of former 2000 AD owner Robert Maxwell has been found in a dishwasher. And John Major has signed up Big Dave to handle that ostrich-riding non-Saddam. It's going to be the okay. auntie of all battles, Fox. And I do kind of, I do just kind of like like the jingoistic writing here because they're like our beloved prime minister, John Major, and stuff like that, which might have not been a popular opinion at the time. In the output page, Thard asks how we're finding the summer offensive. And there's reports of rumors of an upcoming Judge Dredd film, which we'll, which we'll see uh, next episode. Hooray! Yeah, the own yeah, only two years until it actually comes out. In the Nerf Center, there's a picture of an avian judge birdie, and letters celebrate a 3:30 a.m. victory in the game Civilization with a uh, score of 1400, which I've come to understand is a decent score. Yeah, damn. Um, and also there's a there's a letter that actually says this guy's mom is buying him 2000 AD, so it's a counterpoint to the one of the previous Prague. A dread jumper was spotted on television, like a t-shirt or what sweater, I guess. I mm -hmm. don't know. Someone's sweater. got a dog. Yeah. Someone's got a dog named Dread, and 2000 AD is being put on the high shelves in WH Smith, but 2000 AD is for all ages, baby. Come on. And the prog ends with Dave and his dogs pumping some iron. These strong Brits. Okay. <laughs> Boom. Okay. Hey, and speaking of Big Dave, Fox, Man, I know we you don't him. need to. Gotta. He won't he'll beat us up if we don't. We're in England now. We'll find us. <laughs> Thrill nine, Big Dave. Script robot Grant Morrison and Mark Miller. Art robot Steve Parkhouse. Letting robot Steve Parkhouse. Some double double dipping here. All right. God. 
We're in black and white as a sad-looking man lies in a hospital bed covered in bandages. Some government nerd types with shadowy generals behind him try to talk to this man. One of them, Simpkins, is a speech therapist. The other one is the Home Secretary, and I think this might be a caricature of uh, Kenneth Baker, who was Home Secretary in the um, early 90s. And kind okay. of like glasses and stuff like this. His official title is the Baron of Dorking Fox, which is pretty funny, just for the record. <laughs> Dorking. Simpkins manages to translate. Yeah, to translate the muffled words of the bandaged man, Colonel Bates. He was dropped a mile out by helicopter, going after Big Dave himself. He entered his home, the condemned Nelson Mandela Council Estate. Is this? I is this like? A reference to something? I mean, it's a reference to Nelson Mandela. Yeah, and it's in ruins? I don't get it. Part of me, like, I admit I didn't look up to see if there was actually a Nelson Mandela um, housing block that was in ill repair. Part of me wonders if this is like some ri- some uh, a UK version of the joke of how like the worst school in the city is always like Martin Luther King Jr. High School or oh, something like that. Oh, that's not good. I mean, that's the point of Big Dave, you know, like. Oh, saying that's not good. I'm ready. Or jokes that give you that that create that response, basically. Uh, but anyway, Bates is going after Manchester's hardest man to then himself go after Saddam Hussein. The Butcher of Baghdad has acquired as an alien super weapon and only Dave can stop him. What? Bates makes his way through the high rise past the bodies of rent men, tax collectors and social workers, among others. The council wanted to destroy this place and its only resident. But now we need Big Dave. He's Britain's last chance, Fox. I just don't see why. Bates doesn't even get a chance to make his case before Dave suddenly appears and sixes two pit bulls, Zoltan and Kickboxer on him. Okay. Bates gets mauled and then Dave bottles him and tosses him out the side of the building. So he stabs him with a broken bottle. That's right. After he breaks it over the top of his head to make a jacket. Before the government types can see if Dave agreed to the mission, the man himself appears, tells his dog to finish off. Finish him off, you little poof. The air is filled with Bates' screams and then his organs and stuff as Dave drinks a can of lager and confirms the deal. Anything he wants for bottling Saddam. He'll do it. Sounds like a laugh. And the narration box is very gung-ho about all this. Yes, this is Big Dave. (laughs) Hey, Dave has punched his way to number 10 and is harassing a secretary as Prime Minister John Major explains that Saddam has teamed up with some aliens from the planet Sirius and they want to turn the Earth into some kind of love colony? Sounds, sounds rad. But Dave is mostly focused on the secretary. Uh, Major's very cross at being ignored, but Dave will have none of his cheek as he compliments this lady's boobs. Oh, birds love I, that man, stuff, eh? Bit of a I, vulgarity now and then, eh? I don't know if it was a compliment versus saying there's a couple of watermelons in your shirt. <laughs> oh, you got big jugs, way. It's just really... It's a, it's a choice that's been made to make this oh, a comic book. Absolutely. Anyway, it seems like the love gun, to quote John Major, turn our best troops into Nancy boys, so they need Dave's help. 
He's got terms, though, Fox. One, a lifetime supply of I-Class shell suits. Two, a three-week trip to Tenerife with me last all expenses paid. And then four, a bright red orange Ford Capri with flame effects down the sides. There is no term three, Fox. You got to be aware of that. I, I guess he doesn't want his place also to stay there. Who knows? Move him down to Tenerife, I guess. Despite Dave's hardness, though, they reckon he'll need a partner for this mission. You calling me a poof, mate. Um, but they offer, but, you know, as opposed to insulting him, they offer the Archbishop of Canterbury's special envoy, Two-Fisted Big Terry, who has like a beard and wears a waistcoat as he punches and shoots people in the face uh-huh. in a training mission. Um, the two big men shake hands over a Union Jack and they're off to Baghdad. It's time to jump. But parachutes are for poofs, Fox. Saying poofs a lot here. Dave, Terry, and the dogs all jump out the side of the plane. We'll show them how we treat bullies in Britain. I feel like he's, that's really pot calling the kettle on that one. Yeah, send them to fight Saddam, I guess. Meanwhile, Saddam is riding his ostrich and going to meet with his alien allies. There are these little alien dudes in robes. They're very happy to bring order to the world with the love gun, which, yes, does look like a big dick, Fox. Yeah, I was. Not mention it. (laughs) It's got, it's got the whole like bell and dead mm-hmm. and it will soon be ready to use on great britain and the usa spreading love all over the globe and then the world will be saddam's unless big dave has something to say about it okay <sighs> next time to slaughter a beast don't care for it <laughs> that is <laughs> all sort that's of, all i a, really want to put forward not to big dave don't care for it I'm def- I've definitely been hinting at the direness of Big Dave um, for the last maybe year or two of Frogs, I guess. It's very much like a low, like like a tough story and one that's just got a lot of like hate and anger in it. Yeah, you know? like look for for the record, right? I find farts to be incredibly funny because I'm a, like a child, right? Mm-hmm. I don't find like you could call that lowbrow. I mean, hate humor is not very funny to me. I mean, I'll say, all right, here's an important thing to know about the discourse about Big Dave, all right, which is that if you talk to, like, and and they're quoted as saying this in, like, Thrill Power Overload and stuff, you know, the point is that this is supposed to be satire, right? And this is what people who are like Big Dave or whatever would think is a good character. But they're making the him the is, hero. Not the heel. The point is to make Big Dave a good guy or theoretically a good guy, but someone who's so over the top and gross that you understand that they're actually making fun of him. This will not really go over well, I think. I don't know if they do a really good job of what they're trying to do, I guess. And like in the end, it becomes the kind of situation where um, I don't know, you know, for me, I'm so, you know, listen, everybody knows like, I'm a pretty, like, you know, namby-pamby, le- uh, liberal kind of guy or whatever. Sure. But I've definitely had friends in the in the spaces there where, you know, they'll tell, like, a racist or a sexist joke. And the joke is, like, is less the actual joke and more like, oh, it's so transgressive that I've told that joke in this situation, you know? Yeah. No, it's I, I like... 
I it's making an excuse for being an asshole in my mind. Yeah, That's how I'll, I've always read it. Yeah, and I'll tell you that, like, you know, I don't know Grant Morrison or Mark Miller, Steve Parkhouse well enough personally to just take that as read, you know, that the joke is that this is transgressive as opposed to just we're making fun of gay people constantly or whatever. Um, And I'll also say that as the years have gone by, people who make those those kinds of jokes a lot as the years of as the year as the years turn end up being less ironically making racist jokes and eventually just sort of just making racist jokes. Yep. You know, one of those. Turns um, out they were just hateful people for the most part. One of those, um, yeah, like like be careful what you, you know, what you do can determine who you are more than what you think or something like that. Yeah. To quote Batman. Anyway, who, who also has that? Who has also had that problem over the years? Anyway, <laughs> big day. We're going to get a lot of it for a little <sighs> while. Great. Speaking of murderous monsters, Fox. Man, this is a good one. Let's go to Thrill 10 Slaughter Bowl. My name is... Hello, my name is Mr. Throat. <laughs> Going to kill you on a boat. Script robot John Smith. Art robot Paul Pert. Lighting robot Ellie DeVille. First time in the prog for Pert. Although he's done some Hershey over in the magazine. And we're in Szechuan Province, the year 2029. A dude with skull face paint named Mr. Throat kills a panda yeah, with a high-powered rifle. Ice is it. Ice is that dumbass bear. And we get news reports that he's the three-time Slaughter Bowl champion on vacation doing some panda murder. And we see some quick stills that imply that Slaughter Bowl has something to do with dinosaurs. Yep. I mean, and like laser breath dinosaurs with guns. It looks awesome. Mm. Yeah, it's all going to be starting up again in a few weeks. And Mr. Throat can't wait as he shows a Chinese park ranger that he's literally just wiped out the every last remaining panda on Earth. Well, I mean, if you're going to cross something off your bucket list as a murderer... <laughs> Fuck those pandas. Meanwhile, in Kent, nerdy Stanley Modest writes an anniversary greeting card before he gets a call and learns that he's been fired from his job because of a petition that everybody signed. And no one he's likes him. And he's no, like, he's been there he bought everyone 20... like Christmas gifts and shit. Yeah, he's been there 23 years and everybody's sick of him, so he's out. Stanley packs his stuff and leaves, asking a co-worker to hand out the nicely wrapped Christmas gifts that he's apparently brought, bought for everybody. But all that guy actually does is just hang a world's number one loser sign on his back. Yeah, and he's also got like a rat flayed on his back or something. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Various pranks. Um... Stanley walks home in the rain, wondering what he'll tell his wife, but it seems like he doesn't really have to because she's in a hospital oh bed on life support. The doctor says that she relapsed recently, but also that she's generally been comatose for the last six I, the, years. The doctor literally is just like, oh, you should probably just kill her. It's like, oh, my yeah, God. Just pull the plug, buddy. She's not coming back. It's been six years. Jesus um, Christ. Yeah, but Stanley won't hear of it. He cries and begs to keep her alive, operate on her, do whatever it takes, whatever the cost. In fact, it turns out the cost will be 150,000 pounds, Fox. God damn. For a full replacement of everything. (laughs) 
Stanley wonders how he'll pay for it when he comes home and sees lights and cop cars in front of his house. At first, he thinks there's been some kind of accident, but nope, he's under arrest because the cops have found at least 20 to 30 dead bodies under his floorboards. And that number grows real fast. Seriously. News keeps coming in about the bodies found in Modest's house, at least 96, with more legs and limbs and organs besides. Most gruesome of the or of the or sorry most are too gruesome to identify but they have found the bodies of his two children and their babysitter who had its sideline as a topless go-go dancer all recently killed all so bizarre and it's like he clearly didn't do it and then let's do some police violence i just love the newscast quick to show salacious photos of the go-go dancer as well (laughs) um at the and he's pretty, you know, obviously, as you as you might imagine, grief-stricken to see his dead children. But the news reports say that's just a show. And at the police station, they put him on a lie detector and he passes. But they don't believe that. Why would anyone frame a nobody like Stanley? Plus, like, framing somebody with 119 bodies, which is the total count, seems like a lot of a wide length to go to. I mean, it seemed like no one liked him. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe everybody framed him with one body and it just added up. You know, it's like um, it's like in Clue or that one version of Clue where everybody does it. <laughs> Watch that movie recently. Um, it's very good. Absolutely. Stanley can't explain anything about it. And so the cops prepare to kick the crap out of him to get him to confess. Meanwhile, Mr. Throat. Mr. Is Throat. Iron. He's Mr. so Throat. jacked. A TV camera floats in, and he just sort of offers to show them his official Mount Nielsen in his private stable out I back. I love that his Tyrannos, one-armed Tyrannosaurus with a giant, like, triple-headed bazooka super gun for a right yeah. arm. His name's Nielsen. Nielsen is an alpha, yeah, Nielsen, uh, Nielsen, whatever. Alpha male, bred to fight, reared on steroids. <laughs> They're putting weapons on him. We learned that the Slaughter Bowl champ must fight the next year. And as you say, Fox, Nielsen is a giant red T-Rex covered in tattoos with a chair built into his back and one arms, this big three-barreled gun. It, like, it's, it's got like jets coming out. Maybe yeah. it's got like... Might be a flamethrower flame or something. Oh, a triple-headed flamethrower. Awesome. Whatever it, is, whatever it is, it's badass. I think we can all yeah, agree on it's that, the certainly. most badass dinosaur I think I've ever seen in my life. Could only be more badass if it had a big pair of sunglasses, honestly. Oh, my God. Well, it's got the nose ring. That's right. Yeah, it's close. It's got, t- it's got some markings and stuff. At court, Stanley is so overwhelmed by this whole situation that he doesn't even put up a defense and is sentenced to be executed. In prison, he's humiliated by the guards. He gets his head shaved. They're, they've taken everything from him. He weeps in his dark death row cell. How much worse can it get? It's a setup. Next time, hard facts. It's a setup. We both know it's a setup, but I don't care because I just, I want, I never knew I wanted to see more Mr. Throat. I never knew, Conrad. Absolutely. Mr. Throat is a lot of fun. Just this crazy murderman, you know? Yeah. He's a good We're dude. We're going to see more. Like, we'll be taught. I think next pro or next episode, we'll get. We'll start seeing more of the actual Slaughter Bowl thing, which I believe has both murder dinosaurs and a variety of uh, contestants and stuff like that. Oh, that's that. great. Like this, so it's wacky races, but for murder. 
yeah, wacky races, but with murder dinosaurs. Exactly. That, that's such a. It's a great concept. Gotta I mean, love. I gotta love Cannonball Run. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's always down on uh, on sports comics, but I think this attempted a sports comic revival. Oh man, I mean, ninety three is exciting. Honestly, I, if if there's one thing that I think you and I both agree on, it's that sports comics, especially sci fi murder sports comics, really great niche. We're big fans of them. That's the space spinner stance. Absolutely, like we God. will enjoy your sports comics someday. Like, I don't know when. I'd be interested to read, like, some Roy of the Rovers or something like that. Yeah, why not? If if someone could suggest to me, like, what's the best Roy of the Rovers story or something, mm-hmm. I would find a way to put it on this show and we could talk about it. Just because it seems, <laughs> you know... It's such a weird thing, again, just the standard stuff about, about you know, I'm an American. Where I come from, the comics are only about superheroes. So just like, here's a sports soap opera in comic form. I'm intrigued by it. It's you know? good. Gets at least one eyebrow from, from me. And as with all blood sports, when you add <laughs> dinosaurs in there, first you had my interest. Now you have my attention. <laughs> it's so fucking true. It's so true. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, let's keep going. We're done with this one, and we're really, truly on to our next thrill. Thrill 11, really and truly. Visually like it. Hard to gauge what the fuck's going on. Fair. Yes, script robot Grant Morrison, art robot Ryan Hughes, letter robot Ryan Hughes, lots of double dipping. Ryan Hughes will remember from that uh, Tales from Beyond Science story, uh, I think in 92, 91? Yeah, and his lettering is actually very interesting. Definitely, yeah. So this story, oh lord, technograd, deep in the Colombian jungle, home of dissident Russian scientists, last bastion of hallucinogenic Marxism, where the opiates of the masses are brewed in test tubes, home of the hits! A Russian dude in a white suit, bowler hat, and thin mustaches, and a thin mustache, talks to a pair of hippie babes named really and truly. Actually, they might be mod babes as I check them out, but okay. something like that. Um, he's got a mission for him, and I guess we learn here in Technograd they make rock music mm-hmm. with like, and they a, put it in bullets, a socialist theme. Or something, and they're always coming out with new acts and stuff like that. And basically, it's like if you to go back to civilization, if the USSR went really hard on a cultural victory, like this is like what <laughs> something <laughs> pumping out culture points would be, basically. Fair. <laughs> um, and they've got, like you said, music players that look like bullets, and you put them in your ear, and it downloads the song to your brain or something yeah, like that. Yeah, no, you I go into know. like a whole hallucinogenic brainwave pattern triggering a head show showroom. Live it up. Something. Dimitri needs really and truly to take it all to San Francisco for the big midsummer burnout. But the military, along with Boss Buddha and the mob, will try to stop them. So put a pin in those names. Luckily, really and truly, you have the answer. Bad babes with big guns. Sure. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm for it, I guess. Their car, the Fab One, has been loaded up with music, which has been then they tossed a, a hologram on it to make it look like snacks and trail mixes. Um, 
And Dimitri introduces the gals to his friend, Johnny Zhivago, Which, a dude in a green, green CCP spacesuit covered in dust. Yeah, weird. Absolutely. Yeah, he'll be go, coming along with them on the trip to the U.S. He's a cosmonaut that recently crashed back to Earth. He drinks him stoly and mentally projects visions of the Russian space programs with smiley face Sputniks and Laikas and so on and so forth. Uh-huh. He broadcasts these psychic images when he drinks, I guess. It's not clear how he drinks through his sealed space suit. Yeah, just don't think about it too much. Let's not worry about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Keep moving. Anyway, let's get this show on the road. Truly take some drugs and it's time to roll out. Watch out for the house of fun. And speaking of which, at a clown-shaped house, they've learned that the girls are on the move headed to Panama. So it's time to initiate Operation Sugar Skull in Mexico as a clown named Biscom gives the good news to his evil leader, Captain Nice, a bald dude with a yellow robot eye and a coat that where the neck goes all the way up to his nose. And a tattoo on the top of his head, bald head that says hair. Exactly. More really and truly to come. Okay. Into psychedelia, I guess. I'm okay with it, I suppose. It seems, I don't know what the point of this is, so... Yes. (laughs) That's mostly where I'm at. I mean, I would definitely say that the point is vibes. Like, I can't think of a more vibe-heavy story than Stumble Offensive, Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm getting vibe. I'm getting vibes from it. Anyway, speaking of something where I know what the point is, Fox, and it's freaking murder and brains. God... It's Thrill 12, Maniac 5. Time to see this mother and child get smushed by a robot. Sure. Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Steve Yole, and Gina Hart, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Oh, so, so we saw a teaser for this one, Fox, in the sci-fi special in 93, but now it's time for the real thing. Uh-huh. Washington, D.C., the distant future, 2004. Alien bugs are attacking the city, and it's mostly women and children there to be killed because all the men died fighting in the Great War against the um, European community. Oh, my God. What the fuck? That's right. Yeah, that's that's what happens when you don't have Brexit, buddy. You fight a bloody war, I guess. Um, we learn that in the end, five Marines won that war. Three are dead. One is insane. The fifth is Maniac Five. (laughs) An eyeless, you know, xenomorph kind of monster kills President Al Gore on the lawn of the White House as he calls out to his wife, Tipper. And a, um, as presidential candidate H. Ross Perot calls a press conference, calling on now President Cuomo to release Maniac 5. Do you remember what? Perot, Fox? Yeah, I do remember Perot, Ross Perot. Yeah, he was like a billionaire tech yeah, guy he ran, who ran I for mean, president he paid in 92. For his whole campaign. Yeah, it's the whole thing. And then kind of became, he was a big deal in 92, but definitely uh, flamed out and kind of was a minor figure in politics afterwards. But you couldn't have known that in 92, I think. I should say also Vice President Cuomo, um, this, they say his name later, though he definitely doesn't look like him. But this is a Mario Cuomo. um, (laughs) Of the Cuomo Cuomos. Yes, father of the embattled um, Andrew and Chris Cuomo Cuomo. Those two. They're just fucking... Not good dudes. No, they're not. New revelations coming out even as we record this podcast in early December. 2021. Yeah. So, 
Anyway, the people agree, man, and are soon rallying around the country for Maniac 5 to be released. Cuomo hems and haws as suits and military guys tell him to do it, and in the end he does, hitting a convenient button on his desk while looking at the, out at the it's skyscrapers. It's the Maniac 5 button, dingus. <laughs> man, you'd think you'd put it in a hard-to-find place than just on the desk. And here's where I make a joke about there being skyscrapers visible outside the window of the White House well. or wherever the hell he is. <laughs> In a lab, a dude with shoulder tattoos sits in a chair, the top half of his skull cut off and wires spiked into his brain. He's kind of like those dudes in um, in Cola Commandos to keep a 2000 AD, I guess. Yeah. I'm just saying, man, you should put some plastic wrap or something over that dude's brain <laughs> so a bug doesn't get in there. That'd be messed up. Well, it's just like bacteria and shit, man. Just things in the air. Keep bugs out of my brain, Fox. That's all I ask. Hard stance on that one. Absolutely. So this dude's Captain Frank Bullock, and he pilots the Maniac 5 war suit via brain. So it seems like he sits here, but all the wires and shit in his brain connect him into an autonomous robot, basically. Okay. Yeah, you've seen anime. You know what's going on yeah. here. Anyway, he said, you know, they call him Maniac 5, and he says, I'm Frank. Then he also begs to be put back into the war suit so he can hurt people again. I just want to hurt people again. This just really doesn't seem like the kind of person you want in a robot suit. <laughs> he learns that he'll be able to swap over between the three other Maniac war suits whose owners have died. That's Maniac 1 through 3. He can't go in four, apparently, because the driver of Maniac 4 is still alive. Um, They engage the systems, and suddenly Bullock is inside a human-sized robot commando war suit. Like, it's very Rambo with its headband and stuff. I just don't see why they wouldn't make it, like, a really big robot or something. I mean, you know, this one's for getting through doorways and stuff. What if they need to kill somebody inside a building? Smash they can't the building. Sometimes you got to keep that building standing. Anyway, his mission to kill all these dang aliens that are all over the place. Just walk in a direction and kill every alien you see, basically. These aliens, they're very human-shaped, and it's fucking like it throws me off a little bit because I've got yeah. butts. <laughs> A bunch of female soldiers are fighting a losing battle to alien attack. And there's a clown in the background here, too, for some reason. Suddenly, a car comes crashing through the wall. It's Maniac 5! He slaughters the aliens and orders the soldiers to grab the kids and come with him. One of the troopers wonders what they'll do, like, because they're just surrounded by thousands of aliens here. But uh, Bullock transfers his consciousness, coming awake in the body of Maniac 1, who, as you said, is a giant tank dude. He goes rolling through, killing everybody, shouting, kill, kill, kill. I like that his hands are really big. Like, you're fucking Definitely. huge by comparison. <laughs> totally. And then back in, and then over in the high rises of Kennebunkport, Maine, some government guys say they haven't heard from the president in a while. Go to check on him. And he's killed himself in grief over releasing Maniac 5 onto the United what States. What the fuck? What the fuck? Doesn't seem that bad. Next time, illegal aliens. Also, I don't know if my response to seeing the president having shot himself would be holy jeez. As someone who said oh jeez a bunch of times myself here. I, I can, but I'm over a it. dead body, I'd be like, holy fuck, someone help. Like, holy shit. Absolutely. I'd lose, yeah. I'd lose my butt. 
Fair. And with that, Fox, speaking of losing butts. Oh, God. I got to know what your top and bottom thrills oh. are for these stories. Man, which stories did you lose your butt over? Which ones was oh. your butt very easy to find? Uh, I'm going to combine both Judge Dredd and, uh, uh, God, my brain. Purgatory? Purgatory together here. And that's the clear top. I'll have no nonsense about this. That is clearly the top. <laughs> Man, I and I would personally struggle through all of this and try to tell you of the 11 other fucking things we talked about, <laughs> why I hated them, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'm only going to do two special mentions here. The first special mention is I cannot wait for more Slaughter Bowl. It seems like exactly what I'm going to like, and that's the summer offensive that I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that my bottom's big Dave. Fuck you, big Dave. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of like the rest of them. I'm, I'm somewhat whatever about like I feel like Maniac 5. I have the least bit of beat on or whether or not it's even really going to be that good. But it's so mm. far it's delivered in like a handful of pages. It's like man with his brain out. Also, now he's a robot. Also, now he's shooting stuff. So they're not really splitting hairs, you know, definitely. And then uh, really and truly feel like is mostly for the eye candy like it's good mm. art i don't i don't know if there's going to be a lot of substance in there though and what about you conrad why do you agree with me please tell me why oh man i mean i'm very interested in some of these summer offensive stories mm-hmm. i think maniac five is intriguing like you i think slaughter bowl looks pretty neat just in terms of God, it's so future good. sports with murder dino with cybernetic murder dinosaurs. dinosaur right I mean, arm flamethrower three barrels it ticks it ticks a lot of my boxes fox like i'm not gonna lie to you there. <laughs> it just looks so dumb and awesome but I, I will definitely say, yeah, that even just for a four-episode a four setup, like the last two parts of Purgatory and then the last two Dreads picking that story up in Inferno mm-hmm. are just pretty fun action stuff, you yeah. know? Like, you know, Purgatory is... I mean, you know what... I think, I think we're all pretty aware that they'll survive and escape and stuff like that. Oh, but sure. Mo- moderately high tension and this sort of villainous revenge story stuff that's pretty decent um and then again also just this you know this sort of cold open start of inferno with spaceships crashing into mega city one and all this stuff they're sort of you know setting up a board that leads to you know a a little mini apocalypse in mega city one and a big showdown between dread and grice both of which i think are um are fun yeah. You know, and things that I'm interested in. So I'd say that's easily my top thrill, especially in comparison to a lot of what else is in this comic. You know, I mean, I like Firekind, but there was only one of it in here and it was a makeup. So that doesn't really count no. to be like chosen, for instance. Um, and for my bottom, ooh, highly tempted by Big Dave Fox. <laughs> Give in to your hatred. I mean, honestly, I feel like it's the one that's given into hatred and anger. Correct. You know? Um, but, like, honestly, in my recapping of it, I'm having a little bit too much fun be- with my asshole British accents. <laughs> like, I mean, and it is the the problem of sometimes these transgressive jokes are very tempting. They are very, they can be funny, you know? And calling people a homosexual slur 
or you know a a, a slur based on sexual preference that my culture doesn't really acknowledge as being one that much is fun you know like i, I i'm gonna try not to do it going forward but i did it a lot this episode um, I, I mean it sounds which to I, me which i don't you feel enjoyed good about. big day so i gotta say i got some enjoyment out of big dave this episode and because of that, I can't put it in my bottom. So instead, uh, but instead, I'll say uh, I'll say really and truly for me, I didn't like this yeah, story no, very I, much I at all. I feel that, yeah. Like I don't really find this Russia's stuff. I don't get it. Compelling or funny? Yeah, like I just I don't really get it. It's got a lot of '60s stuff that I'm kind of like I I think I understand that it is references to like '60s stuff, but. I don't really know much more than that. So it's not really doing anything for me, I guess. And like cool cats go on a road trip is a genre that I've, that we've actually done at least once recently in the magazine. And I didn't like that one either. And I'm increasingly <laughs> feeling like it's not as ironclad a formula as people think it is. Or at least, if it's cool cats going on a road trip, I need to know who those cool cats are in the first place. Just, I mean, here are some cool cats. I don't like They're road going trip on movies. a road trip. It's not that great. I just, uh, I'm not a big fan of road trip movies to begin with. I find road trips to be very boring. And then just to add some zaniness to it, especially as I think you're right. It's like, who the fuck are these characters? Why do I care? Oh, it doesn't matter. Like, that's literally just, the comic book's take on it is it doesn't matter. They're ladies with just, guns. Yeah, and look at these situations. Aren't they absurd, you know? And it's fine, but I'm not really feeling it, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, so I'll, you know, like, <laughs> mostly I'm just not picking Big Dave because it's early days for Big Dave. And so I'm taking a second to um, to give into my, into my lower feelings and joke along with it. But I think I will be done with that um, next episode. <laughs> I have no problems giving into not liking it. Fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, come on. Bit of blue. Bit of blue, mate. What? Say what they don't want you to say, eh? Bit of a free thinker, eh? Anyway. What? All right. Enough of this. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Store, Spotify, or podcast site, SpaceSpinner2000.com. Feel free to contact SpaceSpinner2000 at gmail.com. The 2000 forums are our Facebook or Twitter pages on Twitter at SpaceSpinner2K for the thing else with SpaceSpinner2000. And we should be there. And why not drop us a rating or review wherever it is you're listening? It helps us out. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends on the 2080 forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and get a ton of excellent rewards. Come back next time as we roll on with all of our current thrills. This summer offensive is coming to your town. And until then, I'm Conrad Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid. Splendid.